Then we fail you. You don't fail us, but we fail you. This morning as we open up your word, God, we just pray that you would be among us. We know you're already here. What an amazing time of worship together. But God, as we open up your word, speak to us so that we might be all that you would have us to be. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives, and today we just give you our hearts and lives once again and pray that you would challenge us to live that kind of life that you would have us to live for the honor and glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. John chapter 10. Open up a Bible to John chapter 10. You can find it on page 759 in your Bibles, in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Please be sure and grab a Bible. And again, if you would like to take one of those Bibles home with you, that's our gift to you. Uh, Just take a Bible, write your name in it, and, and keep it. Take it home with you. John chapter 10, page 759. One talent that I don't have, I mean, even in the smallest way, is drawing. You don't ever want me to draw a picture of anything because you'll have no clue what it is. In fact, when I was a kid, I used to like connect the dots. Remember those where the numbers, you know, and you'd follow the numbers and you'd just draw like that? Because that was the only way that I actually could draw something that people could recognize what it was. On Wednesday night, I was teaching young people, and it was kind of interesting because I had to go up and I put two stick figures on the board, and they said, what is that? That's kind of sad when you can't even draw a stick figure and have the kids know what you're drawing. But that's how I am. But today we're going to talk about connecting dots. See, connecting dots in our life, because so often I think we tend to compartmentalize our lives, and we don't mean to do that. And I think guys are more notorious for doing this, that we compartmentalize our lives, that we can only do one thing at a time. We don't multitask very well. And so it makes it even harder in life when we try to compartmentalize when God sees a bigger picture of connecting dots. We learned this when we were little. If you remember just growing up, if you've ever been around somebody who's younger, they put on a hat when they go to school and they act a certain way when they're in school and they know how to act and they know the the terminology and the words that are acceptable in school. And then they come home and they take that hat off and they put a different hat on and now they've got the home vocabulary and how you treat each other. And then they take that one off and then they go to church and they put the church hat on And kids know how to do this naturally. They just keep putting on a different hat and they become different people. And so we all learn this. And so sometimes what we miss in life is who am I? And how does this all fit together in my life? And so today we're starting a new series called Connect the Dots. Because you're going to start to see today that when we start to connect those dots in our life, our life changes. And sometimes it changes for the good, sometimes it changes for the worse if we don't do the things that God would have us to do. And they're all interrelated. So open up your Bible, John 10. We're going to start at one verse and then we're going to kind of work around it, okay? John 10, 10. I'm going to skip the first half of the verse and go to where it says, I have come, okay? John 10, 10. I have come that they might have life and have it how much? To the full. Jesus came specifically that says, I have come that you might have life and have it how much? To the full. Now it's interesting. I want to dissect this one little verse just a little bit because it seems like I've come that you might have life like 
you've attained it and then you're done. And that's not it, it's a subjunctive, but it's a continuous action, which means that he, he wants us to keep on having a full life. That he wants us to attain it and then keep on having it throughout the rest of our life. That's God's heart and desire for you and I. But that full mark, it doesn't mean like if you take a glass and you say, all right, is it half empty or half full? And you fill it up and say, all right, now it's full. That's how we usually understand full, that the cup is full, that it's all for me. My cup is full. Thank you very much. My needs are all met. That's not what this means. Having it to the full, what this phraseology means is that let's just say you take an ordinary cup, you only need three quarters of it full. That's what you need. But God is going to give you the excess. He's going to give you the, what, that word can also be said surplus. God wants you to have a surplus in your life. So that not only are your needs met, three quarters, you're full, that's all you need, but God wants to give you the extra 25% that's a surplus so that you can help someone else whose cup is empty or half full, that you have the excess that you can give to them. And as you give it to them, now you've got a space in your cup. So what does God do? Fills your cup. But he keeps on doing it. See, that's where this action comes in. So if we put those together, I have come that you may continue to have an excess surplus in your cup so that you can actually bless other people to help them have the kind of life that God wants them to have too. Boy, that puts a whole different spin in it, doesn't it? Your life is not just about you. God gave you what you have not only to fill you up, but that, so that you have the excess and the surplus to give to other people. All right, now what's he talking about? Now let's go back. Let's look back at verse 1. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Now when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, can you bank on it? Absolutely. I mean, God can't lie. So when God says emphatically, I I'm going to tell you the truth, listen up, because he's really telling you the truth. He always does, but more emphatically, he really wants you to know this. The man who doesn't enter by the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Okay, just stop there for a minute. He's using an analogy that for, for you and I might be a little bit hard for us to get our arms around uh, because we don't take care of sheep and we haven't really seen shepherding. Uh, it was really fun when I was in Israel. I got to see this firsthand. We went out into the country and we got to see the shepherd and we went out and it was just really cool to see sheep on just this like countryside and go out and talk to the shepherd. And it's really fun because while we were there talking, the sheep didn't know our voice. And so when, when the sheep heard our voice, they were scattering. They, they didn't want to be around us. It's just like, all right, these guys are really scary. You know, we don't know them. And so they kind of left. And then the shepherd would talk. And what do you think the sheep would do? They would come back. And I was like, okay, this is really cool. You know, we'd talk, they'd scatter. They'd talk, they'd come close. Kind of like church, right? You know, we talk. 
I talk, everybody scatters, right? God talks, everybody comes back. But it's kind of fun. It was fun to watch that. So here's the analogy that God gave to us. He says he's the shepherd that when God speaks, we, we listen and we learn to follow his voice. And he takes, the shepherd takes the sheep into a sheep pen at night to protect them from anything that's harmful or dangerous to them. And he brings them in and there's this gatekeeper at the doorway to keep everything bad out and only good in. And so Jesus leads us into that place and we go in there and rest. And then the next day, the shepherd gets up, the gatekeeper opens the door and Jesus says, come follow me. And then we would follow and we go where the shepherd's leading us. And he would always lead us to those places where we were going to get in excess, a surplus of food and water and everything that we need. And so he's using this analogy for us to understand what our role is. Our role is to listen to the voice of the shepherd. What does he want? And then to follow, because if the shepherd says, listen, and we all listen, right now we're, we're listening to what God's saying, but then it's up to us to do what? To follow. Because if we're not going to follow, then the shepherd goes out and we're like, see ya. Now I'll do my own thing. Shepherd's gone, I'll do my own thing. And you know, sometimes in life, we do that. We don't listen we don't follow. And so there's a disconnect in terms of our faith and our life. And it's connecting the dots in the real world. That's really what we're doing. Is how does this faith that I'm learning about affect my life when I go home? How does it affect my life when I go to work? How does my faith affect my life with my kids? How does my faith affect my life when it comes to writing checks or using an ATM card or using a credit card or taking a loan out? Where does my faith affect these different things? As we start this new series today, we're going to be challenging every person to consider these circles. Now, you might have seen these circles, but I'm going to walk you through every one of them so that you get a better understanding of what it means to connect our dots. The first one that we're going to focus on is the marriage circle, if you want to bring that one up. Because we're in really one of the most difficult times. Oop, wrong slide. Let's keep going to the marriage one. We're in one of the most challenging times when it comes to, when it comes to marriages in America. I mean, you know, 51% of all marriages are ending in a divorce. Do you know that couples that live together before they get married, that that rate of separation jumps up to 85%. That's a staggering number. What does that mean? It means that if couples live together, whether or not they get married, the chances are 85 out of 100 that in 10 years they're not even going to be together. And just because they say, well, let's get married now, and then they get married, doesn't change that statistic at all. And so we're doing something wrong. We're doing something wrong with, is our faith affecting anything in terms of our dating relationships? Okay, now I'm not trying to get weird here, parents. Sorry if I put you in an uncomfortable position here. But I read the other day, about two days ago, 
I was reading that 80% of our teenagers and young adults think that oral sex is not wrong. It's not wrong. It's not considered sex. It's not wrong. And I'm sorry, parents, if I put you in an uncomfortable position here. But you see, if that's what's going on, that our young people are saying, there's no issue with this. And where did it really come out of the closet? With Bill Clinton just a few years ago. That's when it really, as a society, it was just put on the front burner that it's acceptable. And so we have things going on in dating. We have things going on in marriage that are so unhealthy that it's really beating the tar out of our faith. And until we come to grips with our home lives and what God wants for us, our faith is going to struggle. Okay, here's the next dot. Finances. Kind of interesting, when we, start, we started to uh, pull the church to find out where people are at, and you know today with unemployment and all the things that are going on in, in our country right now, in terms of debt, that so many Americans have such excessive debt that it's starting to affect the marriage majorly. Finances is the number one cause of divorce. Those two dots are connected. Let's keep going down around. Parents, this is the other thing that we're looking at because we're finding out that there's a correlation between how the marriage is going in parents. Now, parents meaning three categories. Parenting, getting along with your parents, and caring for aging parents. That sometimes, especially in blended families, are notorious for this, of having parenting issues between spouses, which automatically goes back up and affects the marriage. And a couple starts to fight over how they're parenting. And sometimes, because of what's going on in the marriage, it's affecting how the parenting happens or doesn't happen. And then the fourth one is issues. Couples face issues. People face issues. Issues are things like divorce, grief, sexuality issues, cutting, eating disorders, infertility, addictions. All those kinds of things are issues that along the way people face. And when they face those, watch how these circles start to interconnect. When there's an addiction going on in a family, which is becoming more prominent than ever before, addictions oftentimes affect marriages, don't they? Then when an addiction faces a marriage, it also affects finances, depending on what addiction it is. Financing an addiction can be very costly. Then it always affects the parenting. Let's do it another way. Let's just say you face unemployment, which some of you are facing. Sometimes that leads to an addiction or foreclosure in the house, or it leads to increased debt, which automatically will affect the marriage, which also affects the parenting. So it doesn't matter which circle you touch when it's unhealthy. It goes to the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And here's the result of this is it affects the center circle. The center circle is faith. Now what you're looking at there is a balanced life. Faith is strong. Marriage is going fine. Finance is fine. Parents fine. Issues are at bay. That's balanced. I wish I could say that's where we were. Here's what we uncovered though. When we pulled, we pulled parents of young uh, eighth graders is who it was. What we found in the families is there was a number of issues going on. We found respect was an issue, lack of time, busyness, 
fatigue, um, the things that parents wanted for their kids, oftentimes happen in events like sports, activities. And in the end, there was no room left for faith because they were just tired. We had out of 30 confirmands last year, we had only eight kids that were there half time or more. Eight out of 30. That's why we did this. We said, what's going on in your life? And we found out all these issues are going on in their life. Guess what else we found out? How do you think the marriages were going? Not very well. Finances? Not very well. Parenting? They said disrespect, getting along, fighting, arguing were all issues in the family. And then that left the issues. That was going on. We uncovered all these things and we said, oh my goodness, all of this is going on in families. The result is this. The face circle? Look at it. How can you build your faith with all these other issues going on in your life? And it always showed up in the faith circle. And I wonder how many of us sitting here today are saying, yikes, that's me. Why is my faith not growing? I like to see the faith circle like a hot air balloon. All it needs is just some hot air, and it just naturally goes up, doesn't it? It just naturally gets bigger. But if you're dealing with these other issues in your life, what happens is it's like bricks holding it down. And it doesn't matter how much energy you're putting into the faith circle, it keeps diminishing and diminishing until we finally start to give relief in those other issues. Then that faith circle can start to grow. All right, now look at... Chapter 10, verse 10. I want you to read the first half with me now, okay? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now, to make matters worse, Satan has a goal in your life. Three of them. He just shared with you what they were. God told us. What does he want to do to your marriage? Three things. Steal it, kill it, and destroy it. That's what he wants to do. What's he want to do with your finances? Steal them, kill them, and destroy you. What's he want to do to your parenting? Steal it, kill it, and destroy you. And those issues, when those issues are going on in life, and we're facing those kinds of issues, he's getting the upper hand. God says, don't let anything ever control you. When something's happening in our life that's out of our control, like if there's an addiction going on that's out of our control, what happens is it begins to steal our faith, kill us, destroy us. And ultimately, Satan has found out that if you can hit those outer circles, what happens to the faith? It disappears. He just won. For the next five weeks, but not just five weeks, friends, you're going to hear us talk about this again and again and again because we're setting out on a mission. We believe this is what God is calling Messiah to do. God is calling Messiah to help every family have the best marriage possible. We set out on a goal. You're going to hear a lot about this coming up in the fall. We're setting ourselves on a track. It'll start on September 26th. 
we would like to see every family get out of debt in five years. And we're going to invest more in you so that you can get out of debt. So if you can have the best marriage possible and the best finances possible, we met last week with a group of parents. We're working on a parenting curriculum because we want you to do the best job of parenting you can. We're doing everything, everything we can to offer things along the way in the issues category. And we're going to keep pouring everything into the faith category so that we can keep increasing your faith so that that faith circle becomes so large it's now influencing every other area of your life. And we believe this is what God wants for us. But not just for us. Remember, if your cup's full, then you have what? A surplus. You know why God's going to give you a surplus? So that you can help other people that are going through this. And God's calling us to look at those circles in our own life and say, how am I doing? The first one, you can start. Tonight, we're starting a marriage class. Five weeks. Starts at 5.30 tonight. You might want to jump into it because it'll be the first time that we start looking and saying, can we get this stronger? Can we get this better? So that we can start taking pressure off of the others. Because ultimately... It's going to help all of us in doing what God wants us to do, and that's reaching one more life with Jesus. Now, here's the other cool thing. John 10, look at verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God's ultimate desire is for you and I to have a relationship with him. He gave up everything so that you and I could have a right relationship with God first. And then, all those other things. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it, how much? To the full, abundantly, a surplus. So that collectively, we can follow God and doing everything we can to help people have the life that God intended for all of us to have. Let me just share one more thing that we noticed. You know, today we've got young people. We've got a lot of young people here. I'm so glad you're here today. Do you want to know why they're abandoning, this age group is abandoning the church? Do you know what the number one reason is why young people are leaving the church today? Hypocrisy. It's not hypocrisy of the church. It's the hypocrisy going on in families. That behind closed doors, these four outer circles are in full bloom, if you will. And then we come to church and we put a smile on. And kids say, that's hypocritical. Does your faith really affect these other areas of your life? And when kids start to see authentic, us being authentic, that our faith is affecting our marriage, our faith is affecting our finances, our faith is affecting our parenting, our faith is affecting the issues. Kids sign up for that, and they want to be a part of that. But when kids start to see there's no correlation, those dots are not connected, they say, I'm not, I don't want this. And that's when kids are abandoning. For the sake of our kids, Grandkids, 
Friends, we need to do everything we can to get those five circles where God wants them to be so that we can live the kind of life that God intended so that God can use us to reach more people for Him. If you want a better life, according to this, say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Okay, God, we're throwing this out there. It's a tall order, God. God, I pray that you'd open up the floodgates that, that we would have the opportunity to reach more lives than ever before in these five areas of life. You know how we struggle because of sin in these five areas. And we thank you, God, that we have forgiveness and we can start fresh and new every single day. God, we pray that you would bless us, strengthen our faith, help us to have healthy dating relationships and marriage relationships. Help us, God, in finances, in parents, and in issues. Increase our faith, God. Give us that surplus that we might bless others. But start with us. Help us to follow you obediently, to live the life that you would have us to live, so that you can use us in reaching more lives with you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name, thanking and praising you, Jesus, for going to the cross with our sins. We ask this all in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.